You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our Father, in this hour here, would you meet with us by your spirit and teach us in accord with your word? Oh Lord, we know the dangers of being spoken well of in this world, of seeking the affirmation of those who do not honor you and your word and your kingdom. And Father, align our loyalties and our affections even this morning again to you. And we ask you to do that by the power of your spirit and in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have to say, I did not think there would be this many of you here this morning. <laughs> so I'm glad to see the elect have appeared. Um, we're going to be in Psalm 1 uh, this morning, so if you have your worship guide and want to look there, that'd be great. <clears throat> psalm 1, which was our psalm of the day, read antiphonally back and forth. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I uh, had a meeting this week, a kind of um, unplanned meeting with a former student of mine. Uh, it's, I, I've been teaching long enough now, I'm going to sound like that old guy, but I've been teaching long enough now to where I've got students that are returning, and my students are returning, and they're becoming my teachers. It's kind of remarkable, and, and this young student is, he actually serves as a, as a canon theologian in the Anglican Diocese in Dallas, and said, the church that Leslie Hausman uh, just came from. And so he and I were chatting, and very, very bright young man, and, and, um, and he was telling me about his ministry there in Dallas. And, and the ministry that he has there as the theologian at the church is basically one, one of teaching, and he said, I'm, I'm realizing that I need to go back again and again to, in his terms, first principles, things like the Ten Commandments helping people think through the creeds, what it means to be committed to the scriptures themselves. Uh, and we just had this sort of long chat about the basics, and it, it, it caught me, uh, this conversation, at a moment when I've been thinking about very similar things personally. Uh, you know, um, academic people, who aren't the kind of people you really want to invite to your home, um, but academic people tend to think about what's the new thing around the corner that they need to know. Well, what, what, how, how do they need to be prepared for um, the next academic conversation? Woody Allen had a great movie that came out years ago uh, called Match Point. I don't know if any of you saw this one or not, but it's about this young man who was kind of born on the other side of the tracks, and he's making his way into the upper echelon of society in the London business community. And, there, and, the, and the gal that he's engaged to um, is from an elite family. So their dinner conversations are all very um, elevated and literary and talking about art and things like that. There's this fantastic scene um, where nothing is said in, on, on, the, on the screen except for you see a view of this young man in his bed at night um, reading, I love this, the Cambridge Companion to Fyodor Dostoevsky. And was, he's not reading the Brothers Karamazov or Crime and Punishment or The Gambler or any of that stuff. 
He's reading the Cambridge Companion, and, and nothing was said, but you knew what he was doing. He was trying to find a few bits that he could drop, you know, at the dinner party the next night, because you're always thinking about what's around the corner. And I, uh, this conversation that I had with my friend and former student was a good reminder to me about returning and the importance of returning to first principles or basic matters again and again. We can't get over it enough. We need to be brought to the truth of the gospel once again. We need to be brought to the truth of the reality of God and his purposes and ways in the world once again. It's so easy for all of us to get off track and especially in our age of distraction, to find whatever the most interesting thing is around the corner as we're looking at rainbows and balloons and whatever it is that's vying for our attention. Psalm 1 is a psalm that almost in a tyrannical way forces us back to these basic and first principles. And the psalm, the first psalm, it's, it's like it's a tiller um, for the soil of all of the rest of the Psalter. It's an introductory psalm meant to orient you to what's about to take place through the warp and the woof of all of the rest of the psalms in the Psalter. I mean, I, I know you, maybe you don't have your Bibles here, but Psalms 1 and 2 um, are entry points into the whole book of the Psalms. In fact, if you'll notice, like, and you know, I'll just read it to you. Psalm chapter 3, verse 1 begins... O Lord, how many are my foes? Psalm chapter 4, verse 1 begins, Answer me, O God, when I call to you. So you're moving in, in, in Psalms 3, 4, 5, and really for the rest of the Psalter into this um, spirit of prayer. Um, you're, and you're given prayers. I love this about the Psalter. You're given prayers in the Psalms that are, that are ready-made for you, and, and think of it in this way, waiting for you in all of the various moments of your life as you go forward, the moments when you are sad and disoriented, there's a psalm that's waiting for you to give you language to pray to God. When you are filled with thanksgiving and gratitude, there are psalms waiting to give you the language that you might need to speak to God. Um, when you have sinned again, there are psalms that are waiting for you, ready-made like a garment in a closet to put on for this particular moment in time. But before you enter into that wild river of human existence lived all before God. Before that, the psalmist stops and says, there's a few things that we need to address first. We need to till the soil before we start planting the seeds of prayer moving forward. And Psalm 1 is tilled soil before the seeds of prayer begin to get planted. And it raises some of these basic questions about human existence. I mean, look at the first line, blessed is the man, or in the translation that I think we read this morning, happy is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Um, it's a question about human happiness. This is another one of those questions that philosophers like to raise, and they have forever. Is life worth living? That's the big question. And if it is worth living, how can we be happy in this world? Um, I read somewhere... Uh, I think it was maybe three or four years ago, that Yale University recorded its largest enrollment for a single course in the history of the universe, of the, of the universe, of the university. And, wh and what was the title of the course? Happiness. 
a kind of intellectual, cultural survey of the history of the question of human happiness. Philosophers have been raising this for a very long time. And isn't it fascinating that here we have the Bible raising this basic question about what does it mean, number one, to be a human being living before God in happiness, in joy. And we're all asking that question, I think, in one way or another. What does it mean to be happy? Now, let's talk about this word just for a little bit, if you don't mind. Because happiness is, is not necessarily um, the emotion itself of happiness or joy or euphoria, though I don't think it's detached from these emotions. But it's not reduced to the emotions of what we might think of, that's a happy person, that's a joyous person. Um, I think happiness in the Bible, blessedness, Jesus uses this term in the Sermon on the Mount, um, speaks to the blessed state of knowing that the smile of God rests upon you. I'm going to say that again. Happiness speaks to the blessed state of knowing that the smile of God is resting upon you. It speaks to a state of being where you can flourish and grow into what God wants for you. It's an invitation to all the challenges of being human. And this is one of the things that I think you all know now by this point in your spiritual journey that Christianity is not a form of Buddhism. It's not escapism. You don't get a get-out-of-jail-free card from the problems and the troubles of life. So it's an invitation to all the challenges of human existence with the confidence of knowing that you've settled these basic first principles, the basics about what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to flourish? What does it mean to know that the smile of God is resting on me despite my circumstances? That's the big question here about the blessed person. So I think Psalm 1, in a way, grabs our attention. It kind of shakes us by the collar a little bit and says, we're about to talk about matters of life and death. We're about to talk about things that really range near the center of what it means for you to be and to exist in this world as you move through all of its complications. So our ears are, are kind of, they're, they're, they're peaked, they're, they're turned on to what the psalmist is about to say. And here he goes, and he leads with the negative. The blessed person is the person does, that does not walk or stand or sit with those who scoff at God, with those who reject God's teaching, with those that we would identify as sinners, those that stand over against God and his kingdom. The blessed man doesn't walk. And think about the, the progression that you have here. It's kind of fun. They don't walk you know, along the way. They don't kind of stop and linger around it. And they don't sit and take residence with it either. There's an understanding here of evil and its presence in the world. I think we feel the force of this. I mean, of course, we always know that evil is present, but we recognize there's evil in the world. There are those that stand over against God and his kingdom. And the psalmist is saying that the blessed person is not one that takes residence. And can I maybe put it in our terminology? That don't, they, they don't have their affections set on the values and the affections of 
the scoffer, of the sinner, of those that have set themselves over against God and his kingdom. This is a, a massive call from the psalmist to courage and grace and humility, especially for those of us who may be pining for the affirmation of the wicked and the ungodly and those who set themselves over against God and his kingdom. The blessed person is not drawn in to the, or, does, or leans against the gravitational force of being drawn into the world of those that stand over against God and the teachings that God gives us. There's a warning that's issued here. If your delight, if my delight, is with the world and its princes, then we've already taken a first step away from the green pastures of true happiness or the truly blessed state. That's the warning. That's the negative. And he follows the negative with the positive. So if this is what you want to be aware of if you are pursuing happiness, if you're pursuing the fullness of humanity. Beware of this on this side, and here's the green pastures on the other side that, we, that God is calling us to live in. The gate is opening up into this sort of fertile field. And what does this positive sphere look like? They delight in the law of the Lord. And on his law, they meditate um, day and night. I, I just, th this, this is a verse that can get in your skin. You, you, you want, um, like someone who smokes cigarettes and can't get it out of their jacket. Uh, I had a seminary professor that was like that, by the way. His wife didn't let him smoke, but he had one jacket that he wore outside loaded with cigarette wrappers and it could and I when I was around him, I go, Dr. Kelly Doug Kelly you always oh, it's, it's just this smell of smoke this is a verse that you kind of want to get into your clothes um, those who delight on God's law this this is the language of affection this is not just the language of the exercise and the determination of your will I want to do this. I want to be this. No, this is, this is the, the, um, the engagement and the raising of the affections for something beautiful, for something better. So you see, you had this better and, 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 and um, evil sort of paired over against one another. What's best? I think about this a lot as a dad and, 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 feel, the, um, and feel the burden of it. In other words, when I'm talking to my children um, about what God says he wants for them to be. Um, the, the kind of moral questions that teenage boys are wrestling with, especially in today's climate, as they think about that. I mean, it's, it's very easy as a parent to fall prey to going down what you might call the negative road alone. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do this as if God is out to quell their pleasure. And what I think the psalmist is showing us is that's not necessarily wrong. We, we need to be able to speak in those terms. There is the divine no of certain paths that we might take. But it's not sufficient. It's not enough. You've got to be able to talk in other ways as well. And what are the other ways? It's the positive way. God's not just telling you no at the expense of your pleasure. He's giving you a better path and whispering in your ear and saying, that's rocks, crags, thorns, briars over there. 
That's getting caught on the ledge and a little bit to the left and a little bit to the right, you fall off. But what God is inviting you to is this rich, fertile field over here with a wide open gate saying, come and walk in this way. Be in this pasture. This is the way in which I've given you to walk because God is the author of real pleasure. So I love that the language of the psalmist here is not resolve your will to be better. It's not that. It's delight in his law day and night. And law, by the way, don't get hung up on that term as if it's just the sort of list of do's and don'ts that God is giving you um, that you're supposed to delight in. Law is an expansive term that includes all of God's instruction. And we yearn for God to teach us and to speak to us. We want God to speak into our world because we know that the blessed person lives underneath the view of the smile of God. And we want to be in the light of the smile of God, not in the darkness of those that are walking, standing, and sitting. That is a dead end. This is the fertile pasture that's being offered to me over here. And that's what the psalmist is leaving you with, this language of affection. Think about how the psalmist talks about the word of God in Psalm chapter 19. It's better than honey and the honeycomb. I delight in it. I yearn for it. I want to know what God has to say. I don't want to think of myself as my best resource. And you know, we, we all know that if we're left to ourselves, we tend to think that way. I'm my best resource. I'll sort through this. I'll navigate this issue. I'll find a way forward. And we tend to think of ourselves as our best friends and our best intellectual or, or practical resources. And the psalmist is saying, lift your eyes beyond yourself in your humanity to something much fairer, larger, and more beautiful. Set your affections on God's word and meditate on it. Chew on it. Think on it. Reflect on it day and night. This is a classic sort of language of the psalms here, which in effect means all the time. So all the time we're sort of living in the light of God's presence, his being, and the beauty and the affection that's offered to us from his word. That's the blessed person. That's the road to happiness. That's the open door that says, if you want to live in those pastures where God's smile is resting on you, enter into this gate. It's a, when you turn to the prophets, it's a fascinating thing to read um, the ways in which Isaiah 2 and Micah 4 describe all of the nations of the world in the final day of God's um, presence among us in the latter times. Eschatology is the $100 word. So this end-time presentation that Isaiah gives us and Micah gives us are all of the nations streaming to Mount Zion which has now become the chief mountain in all of the world. And here comes all the nations. And what's compelling the nations of the world to come to Mount Zion? It's very specific what the prophets say. They're coming because they want to be taught the word of God. They want to be taught God's word. They want to be instructed by the God of Israel. And when the God of Israel instructs them and they listen to him, the end result Endless universal peace with God and our neighbor. Blessedness, human flourishing, happiness. This is the desire of our hearts. We yearn for God and his word. So can I kind of put us in reverse just a second? If Psalm 1 is the till to the soil before the seeds of prayer are planted, 
What's Psalm 1 leaving you with this morning? Psalm 1 is drawing you in to say, listen, you want a life lived before God? There's something that you need to wrestle with first before you move toward that life of prayer. Number one, how do you view him and his word? What are your affections in terms of God and his instruction? Because we are, he calls people to delight in it and to meditate on it, to chew on it day and night. And then what's the promise? I mean, you see what the result of all this is. It's really fantastic. Metaphors, like a tree planted by the streams of water, and it yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf never, never withers. Everything that he does prospers. The, the wicked aren't like this. You get this yin and yang here. The wicked are not like this. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, and the way of the wicked um, will perish, like trees planted by the waters. Now, I would, I would be um, not fair to you this morning if I didn't tell you that Psalm 1 makes a claim that's true, and Psalm 1 also makes claims that later followers of the Lord struggle with, even in the Psalms. It's, it's remarkable. Uh, and we can't get, chase this rabbit, but Psalm 73, this is Jenelette's reading on this, but Psalm 73 where you have Asaph saying, I've been serving you all of my life and it's about to be over with for me because things aren't adding up. In effect, that's Asaph saying in Psalm 73, I gave Psalm 1 a go and it's not working out for me. So you'll see throughout the Psalms this internal struggle between the claims of faith and the reality of our experience drawing us again back to God. But none of that, by the way, undercuts the reality of the promises of Psalm 1. How blessed are those. How happy are those. How, how um, conditioned are those for human flourishing who delight. Their affections are raised for God and his word. They want to be instructed. They don't see themselves as their, as their best resource and they want to walk in his way because it's better than what's on offer in all of the pale and empty offerings that are around us in our surrounding world. Can I just leave you with a few thoughts. I went longer than I should have. Christ, who fulfilled all of the law for you and for me, invites us this morning back to his word, back to his instruction for the sake of our joy and our wholeness. We have so many diversions along the way, but Christ, who has fulfilled and done the law for you, invites you to himself and frees you to live in to his instruction that he gives you for the shape of your life and the delight of your soul. And the last thing I want to just leave with you, and I had more, but I realized my time is gone. We're living in such a time of deep disorientation. Young people today are detaching themselves from their own bodies in pursuit of pleasure. They think of themselves as detached from their bodies, and now their bodies become the instrument of something other than them. And it's causing this deep fracture in so many young people's psyche, and, and really our, ours as well. Our moorings today are becoming untethered. There's a sense in which we are adrift, and I want you to know something. The evil one is having a field day with this. He's parasitic when it comes to our pleasure. He offers a happiness that promises much but yields emptiness. I wanted to read this line to you from 
the screw tape letters where Uncle Screwtape the Great Demon is nurturing and mentoring his nephew demon, Wormwood. Listen to what he says. Never forget, young Wormwood, that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's ground. Can I say that again? Never forget, young Wormwood, and the enemy, by the way, is Jesus. Never forget that when we are dealing with true pleasure, in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's ground. God, what, what, what Screwtape is affirming here is God is the author of true happiness. He is the author of true pleasure. On this Sunday morning together, for just a few of us here in the refectory, a little opportunity for us to go back to this basic principle. What does it mean to be? What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to flourish and to live in the fullness of that in this world in light of God and his instruction? And the call for you and for me in Christ is to return to him again and delight and reflect on his word, wanting him to instruct us. That's the green pastures where true pleasure and true happiness are found. And now, Lord, seal these things in our hearts and our minds, we pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.